couple of announcements that we need to make. Uh, first of all, we've got some more major items that are coming in. Now, I think we're probably going to take these up through Mother's Day, uh, or one of them through Father's Day. Okay. Uh, these are, uh, you put your change, your dollars, you can write a check, whatever you want to do those. Uh, they're out on the table there. These are for birth choice. And so, uh, your donation to help me have that ministry. And I want to encourage you to do that. Also, yeah, uh, the next part, yeah, uh, of course, we'd like to give you that for to come in, but uh, right now they're filling them out for everybody because our Tuesday discipleship group will come to connect with Christ group. They meet on Tuesdays and they love to send out cards and letters uh, to folks that need prayer from time to time. And, and we hear about people that need prayer from time to time. Senior adults, you've got senior adults. Sunday comes out May the 22nd. Thank you over that. Uh, there's an actual five and five eleven uh, for that. Any questions on that, just say a candy drink down. Also, you can see Kathy too. If you're interested in the uh, Google promotion, it's not the end, but that's August the 4th. So we have four the ticket. The ticket's going to go up quick for $15. So she'll be having a sign up list for that. You can get your name on the sign up list. Several great entertainers. They've got a great young comedians as well coming. So uh, I know that you're going to be a part of, of that. Also, we've got uh, uh, KP, Kayla Pearson from Shower. Uh, it's a taboo that she will cater here to keep your ministry running. So that'll be from the third through the day. She's excited for Kayla. And uh, she's getting her home ready to call it on. So, and then uh, let's see what else have I got. Wednesday night, we've got the meal. That's uh, hamburgers, hot dogs, fish gravy. I don't know if Chris will be going to that. We'll have the sign up list for the week for the week. This afternoon, I can remember, uh, we'll have a going out later on Tuesday. You can get Facebook, Facebook, and Slack notes, how we're going to uh, continue on. And I think that's probably what's going on. I know Delta's got some. Megan, come on up here. Thank you. 
Let's have a word of prayer as we get into Bible. We thank you uh, for all the things going on. Uh, we thank you for the blessings we have and the people we have that are here with us today. Lord, just uh, your spirit and things down today. We just thank you for the privilege of being here to have some worship and time with you, Lord God. And just pray that uh, in our hearts and minds and things we pray for the women debates and all that we just pray those things. Visiting today or visiting online this morning, we're going to set a word of welcome to you. Some of you just uh, reaching in and out of respect this way. If you're here, we're going to come back, shake your hand, hug your neck, and come out here and wait for you to take your place. If you wish to please, but we're going to stand and greet our guests today. Perhaps you've done that and then continue worshiping as we sing the fellowship chorus. So turn and greet your guests today.
Bible this morning and open to Matthew 24, our little guide, and make a little way for children to church today. As they do that, open to Matthew 24. In Hockenberg Library, there's a spirit that is on display. It's believed to be the spirit that was used by the 
soldier pierced the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Adolf Hitler was in his rise to power, everyone in his family spent a great deal of time contemplating this Roman spirit. You can go and visit if you want to take a look at it behind that inflated case glass. He actually believed it was the spirit, even though there were some 49 other spirits that exist that people say talk about them. But he believed that one to be the scripture. That if that gas indeed pierces the side of Christ, the friends of Hitler said that as he stared at that spirit, he would become engulfed in the thick darkness of the upcoming glass breaking glass. And he would invite tell you that story because we all know, of course, that Adolf Hitler was one of many who had been said or thought to be the Antichrist throughout history. If you are a Google Antichrist, you can find uh, a long list of thought of perhaps who could be today the Antichrist that has changed over the, I guess, year to year decade to decade, century to century, from time to time, stone, we find almost every president listed that you can find uh, entertainers and leaders and dictators and, and, and certainly people like Adolf Hitler and some other very uh, cool people who have lived throughout history have been listed or thought to be at one time or another the We've been in a series that started a few weeks back, and of course this pertains to that disruptive event in Jacob Revenue. We're coming back to that from Matthew 24 into Matthew 25, thinking about what we call the signs of the end. And uh, in Matthew 24, verse 3, the disciples uh, were sitting on the Mount of Olives with Jesus, and they were talking with him privately, and they asked him, they said, tell us when will these things be? You know, Jesus had told them that the, the, the temple would be destroyed. And then, of course, uh, he gave those to be whipped. You know, they were speaking not only spiritually about his death, burial, resurrection, but also speaking literally about the temple itself being destroyed, as he said, that not one stone will be left upon another. And uh, they're curious. When will these things be? And then they say, ask this question, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And if you remember, we said that what follows from verse 3 there in chapter 24 is the longest answer that Jesus gives to any question ever asked him. And it's kind of long as you've ever been somewhere talking to someone and you get them on a topic and that you really, I mean, it's a topic they don't mind talking about. It's a little bit kind of hilarious when you think about, here's the Lord Jesus. Everything's going on in this compressed uh, trauma of the passion. And, and they get him on this topic of the end of the end of days, the end of the age. And I think, I don't think we're missing it by saying that there is this, um, kind of excitement from 
what's going to be happening to these kind of people that know everything is going on. He's looking forward to that day when all these things come to pass as uh, the Bible says and as he says it is. But we've already seen that Jesus has built uh, well, what we call the, the false Christ that will come. And he talks about the wars and rumors of war. He looked at that a few weeks ago in, in persecution. He's talked about the natural calamities, earthquakes and, and disasters and things such. And he's talked about the increase there is something that will happen in our world as this time gets closer to his return. Now, I want to stress this to you as well. Remember that Jesus is, was, truth incarnate. If you want to know what truth is, Jesus is truth. And when Jesus says something, he is saying divine truth. He is saying something that is genuinely true. And Jesus isn't given to exaggeration. Today we might exaggerate something to to drown our fault. Maybe the, the intensity of it all. We might exaggerate a little bit to really get people to believe it. That was not the case with Jesus. And so when he says something, it, it, it could be taken at face value. And what we're about to read here in just a moment is truly remarkable. Because it's, it deals with the subject of prophecy. And I don't think there's anything that maybe is as fascinating as. I got a ticket today yesterday for Richard for Terry Todd, and I called him just to get a better name for him. He called, he said, Preacher, I hope I didn't disturb you. And uh, uh, he said, I'm sitting out on the porch of the free day, and I don't have really anything to do, and I thought I might read my Bible, and I wanted to read to you when you were preaching from it. And so I said, well, that's, that's not a problem. We'll be in Matthew 24, and we'll also be in Daniel chapter 7 and 8. And I said, if you really want to read uh, a good section, read Daniel uh, 7 and 12. And then he he said, I looked at Bob's. I laughed. I looked at him. I said, what about all this, man? Uh, And and so Richard came in this morning and he said, Richard, you've got some spider over there. Well, Daniel is a fascinating book. And uh, I think Richard would get a kick out of reading about all those beasts and, and all those crazy visions in Daniel. I think there's probably nothing as fascinating as, as prophecy, and nothing probably as problematic as prophecy. I think everybody likes to know a little something about what the Bible says about the future. Some want to know because of fear. They like to know about it so that they might have to get fear stricken and be insulted and to know because perhaps maybe they can avoid some sort of difficulty and tragedy in their life. Some like to know the, the future so they can plan for the prosperity and the blessing. Uh, we like to know uh, what the stock market is going to be good in the, uh, in the next year. I mean, what if you get rich if you get into that? I don't know if you need an answer to that ahead of time. Uh, I think people today love speculation. That's why we have horoscopes, fortune tellers, tarot cards, all those kinds of things that you know might give us some insight to the future. But let's face it, prophecy's not easy. And when you're talking about prophecy that the world gives, it's, it's, a, it's sort of a hit-and-miss kind of a thing. And, and the world's prophecy... 
receive one. They get this. Heard the story that was told of the famous prophecy of the great uh, oracle of Delphi. Once the king had come to speak to them, and the oracle told the king, said, Well, if you go into battle, then uh, a great empire will be destroyed. And the king, of course, told them that that was good news, and the king went to war because he was convinced that he would destroy that great empire. Well, as it played out, the kingdom that was destroyed was his own. So the oracle but not in the way that the king had hoped to make it be played out. You know, those prophecies that we hear don't come to pass. But yet when we come to the Bible, there's 100% accuracy there. And as you study the prophecies of the Bible, you also find that they're given with amazing precision and amazing pinpointed information. And what we're about to read, what I'm going to give you this morning is what I call the ultimate sign, or what Jesus would call the ultimate sign of his return. When this happens, it's soon. When this moment comes, be ready. Now, we've given the, the title for the message, the abomination of desolation. That's the ultimate sign that we're going to be talking as a matter of fact, it's so important, and you'll see this when you read the text in just a moment, that in verse 15 of Matthew, the Holy Spirit adds a little bit of commentary to what Jesus says here. Let the reader understand. Some scholars believe that that, that was Bible code added also to the, to the text because the early Christians would need to know that this was some dangerous, this was some dangerous material. If this text fell into the wrong hands, it could actually cause some trouble for them because of what's being revealed and what's being said. So there's an extra precaution here given by way of the Holy Spirit for what we're about to read. But I really believe it is the ultimate sign of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ what I kind of call the abomination of desolation. So let's look at verse 15, Matthew 24. We'll read down to verse 21. Therefore, Jesus said, you want to know the answer to that. So therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation in their empire, spoken by Daniel the prophet, that's why we'll be in Daniel in a little bit, standing in the holy place, and that is the holy of holies, that's in the temple, Whoever reads, let him understand. There's our commentary. Then let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains, the Lord said. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to the one who is pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor has ever or shall be. And unless those days were shortened, Jesus said, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. If then anyone says to you, look, 
hearers of Christ or theirs do not believe it. For false Christ, he says this again, and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders, lying to deceive, if possible, even the very elect of those who are, who are believers. So I have told you this beforehand. In other words, this is prophecy. You're hearing it from me now. You're not going to, you shouldn't be surprised by these things. Therefore, because that's true, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out, or look, he is in the inner room, don't believe it. For the, as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of, coming of, the Son of Man be. For whenever the carcass, for wherever the carcass is, there uh, the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man, or listen, he said, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven and the other. I will remind you that uh, Jesus is not giving the exaggeration. But when we read this, this is pretty fascinating and spectacular stuff. I don't know, y'all remember You know, they were always crying about old Bud's money being that rascally rabbit. Uh, folks, I'm going to tell you, I've chased, I've chased that rascally rabbit all over the years. And I've gone down a lot of rabbit holes uh, just to help make this subject for you. So I, I want to say that to you to say that when you study uh, the text that we're looking at today in the book of Daniel, there is a danger of going down some, some crazy rabbit holes. And there are some crazy, crazy theories out there that you need to be careful about. Let me give you some guidelines of this passage here uh, before we move into uh, our, uh, our study itself. But just some what I call guidelines. First, let me just say that when we come to this section of Scripture, Jesus is moving away from the nations of the world. And now he's talking about the nations of Israel. When he was talking about wars and rumors of wars, he's talking about the nations of this world. We looked at Ezekiel. You remember we looked at that chapter that, that talks about all the different nations of this world that might come against Israel, or would come against Israel in those evil time days. Uh, you can go back and watch the message online if you missed that. But uh, that's the nations of this world. That's, that's what's going on in those times. But now he's going to start talking about the nation of Israel. Bible prophecy is intertwined with both a, a word for the world and a word for God's ancient people. Be mindful that Jesus is also speaking to some Jewish disciples here. And just like uh, you would be interested in what would be happening in America, they're very interested about what's going to be happening to the nation of Israel. A second thing to be mindful 
was a timeline in which each twenty-four uh, certain events would play out, uh, uh, and those are the things that we think about, and not the issue of time, such as calendar time itself. For Jesus here, he's telling the disciples that Israel will cease to be in the near future. Now that's going to blow them away. Just imagine if someone were to say to you today, "Well, next year America won't be." There won't be a U.S. of A. There won't be a white house, or there won't be uh, a, 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 a hall of Congress. You know, you're crazy. How do you get on one year But that's what Jesus is saying to these disciples. In the near future, this temple's not going to be here. Not one stone is going to be left upon another. But then Jesus says, out of the more distant future, in the ages to come, Miraculously, and through some miracle way, Israel will be reconstituted together as a nation. Now, what's amazing about that is this. We've seen that second prophecy now, right? We've seen the first one. You know, in 70 AD, the, uh, uh, the Romans came in and they sacked Jerusalem and they tore down the temple, they burned it, and they left it. Not one stone left upon another. But then what happened when, and latest in our, in our, in our last couple of generations, we've seen Israel come back together again in the 
that it's mentioned in many different places. Let me give you a list on here the scripture reference. Uh, I'll put the notes online if you go back and look at the, the scripture for it's related, but for time's sake, it's just mentioned. For, for example, the Bible says that this period of time will be known as the Great Tribulation. Revelation 7, verse 15. The Bible calls this day a day of the Lord. Isaiah 2 and verse 20. The Bible says it's a time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah 30 and verse 7. Daniel calls it the 70th week. That is 70 week prophecy. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Daniel also says it is the time of the end. Daniel 12 verse 9. Revelation 6, 17 says that it is the great day of his wrath. The Bible says it's the hour of his judgment, Revelation 14 and verse 7. Matthew says this, it's the end of the world, chapter 30, verse 40, and then again, verse 49. The Bible says it is the indignation, where Isaiah says that, Isaiah 26, verse 20, and Isaiah 34, verse 10. And then the Bible says it is the time of trouble which never before, Daniel 12 and verse 20. But it is also referred to as the desolation of abomination or the abomination of desolation as it's given in Daniel 9, verse 27, and in Matthew 24, 5 through 6. So can you see it with all those different types about this one day, this one unique event, there could be confusion, right? You can use the word with that. Very natural enough. It can get confusing, right? A second thing I want you to say here is that Jesus is addressing a special people. We've already said this, but I'm going to hear it again. He's talking to the Jewish people here. Now, it breaks a question in my mind. What does it mean when we say, as Christians, that God has a chosen people, the Jewish people, who are his special people? Now, that word chosen is a word that we equate another word with. When we say chosen, we're saying that someone is preferred. And much like we prefer one flavor of ice cream to another, when God says in his word that he has chosen people, he's not saying that he prefers them over another group. I think that's a mistake that we make. God does not prefer one people over another. Let me uh, read you a passage here. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 2. And I want you to look at verses 1 through 11. And, and God in Romans, Romans 1 talks about the, uh, the sinfulness of our world wickedness as it gets closer to, the, to that age and to that day. And the chapter 2 opens up about the righteousness of God. And so he says, therefore you are inexcusable talking to this wicked world that we live in. Oh man, whoever you are who, who judges, for whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For uh, you who judges practices the same thing. In other words, he says, you know, the world's really not fit to be a good judge because the world doesn't think it's any good But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. And do, do you think this, O oh man, who judge uh, those practicing such things and goodly things, that, that you're going to escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of, the, of his goodness and forbearance and the long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you leads to repentance? Then according to your hardness and the impenitent heart, 
question of treasuring up for yourself. Ram in the day of Lord's birth, and that's, a, that's another uh, way of talking about the interpretation. The day of Ram. In Revelation of the righteous judgment, who is rendered to each one according to his deed, eternal life to those who did uh, practice the continuance of doing good, seeking for glory, honor, and immorality, to those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and the tribulation of demons, and every soul of man who does evil, and the Jew first, and then listen to this, also the Greek. So, in other words, what he says is both God is the same judge of all. Jew or Greek, it doesn't matter. If you reject him, you're unrepentant, and you're sinful, and you're committed to selfishness, uh, and you, you, you know, don't come to me, listen, your mom, no matter who you are, is still going to stand under the same judgment. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good uh, to the Jew first, but also the Greek. Now, which of the books of the is For there's no partiality with God. God doesn't choose one people over another in practice. He's the, he's the same God today, Jew or Greek. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That word holy means to be set apart for a special purpose. So I want to say to you folks that we are blessed because there are no people in this world who are the Jewish people. Do you know one of the blessings that they gave us? If you have your Bible with you today, you'll know this. Do you realize you would not have the Bible, God's Word, were it were not for the Jewish people? It's to the Jewish people that we got our law. As a matter of fact, it's only to the Jewish people that we have a law that we practice in our land today, the Judeo-Christian law. Uh, you think about the Ten Commandments, the, the Judeo-Christian law of our land today, you know, and murder, thievery, and the stuff that we live by, all of that comes, came by way of God's people, kind of establishing the law of Moses. So even some of the morality of our world today, uh, as it's come through time, has come by way of the Jewish people. They are a people of blessing, and it's an amazing thing if you study the Jewish people more. I mean, the contribution they have made to civilization is just absolutely unreal. They, in that one people group, they've won more Nobel uh, prizes than any other people group, particularly in the area of medicine and healing. And so, Jesus is addressing a specific period. He's talking to a special people. Jesus is addressing a scandalous profanity. Verse 15. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand it. Now, to rightly understand this, we've got to go back to Daniel. Now, I can't preach through the whole book of Daniel, but let me just quickly tell you a little bit. If you open up Daniel, you read Daniel chapter 1. You're going to see the story of a young boy that was brought into uh, uh, the Babylon uh, as a captive of the uh, old king Nebuchadnezzar. And he and his compatriot, his friends, uh, are, are brought in and out of Israel there. And they were served the king. And so from the time of a young boy all the way 
way to get to the flag that I need to have, and that is music of the name. Daniel lives and faithfully serves the king, but he does so in amazing integrity. And he does so, and there's an amazing witness to God. He doesn't violate uh, his faith. He doesn't violate his principles. He, he lives a life for God, even if there's no story, even to the point that because of it, they can even go out on the And of course, he can't do that yet because of the miracle hand of God. Now, if you read Daniel 1 through 6, that's the chronological history of Daniel. From the time that he was captured to the time that he died. And you see the different things that he does in the kingdom. He and his friends, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So you, you, you have that in Daniel 1 through 6. And in Daniel 1 through 6, there are visions that the kings have uh, that they ask Daniel about. Visions that others have that they ask Daniel about, and Daniel interprets these visions. Now, when you get to Daniel chapter 7 and through Daniel chapter 12, the, the book changes. Now it's kind of a review of Daniel's life in the sense that these are the visions that Daniel had. And uh, sometimes it's a little hard to, to know when and where uh, Daniel is, is talking about and what vision is that. Does chapter 7 uh, deal with the same vision that he, he had in chapter 2 when it talked about the Tanakh? There's some debate on chapter 7. Uh, chapter 8 is an amazing chapter. In that chapter, Daniel's given a vision of coming events and kingdoms. The precision of chapter 8 is absolutely Chapter 8 is also a watershed chapter. In that chapter, uh, the language changes. Chapters 1 through 7 is written in the uh, Aramaic language. But chapters 8 and following are written in the Hebrew language. And again, there's a reason for that. The vision of chapter 8 is amazing in that Daniel is, listen, he is, he is so uh, amazed by what he's given the privilege to sit Listen to what he says in Daniel chapter 8, uh, verse 15. Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood before me one having an appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of Europe, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Daniel says, so hard, so uh, fascinating, so unbelievable was this vision that he said, I needed to get help from God. And God sent an angel to help understand. And, and then look at verse 27 of Daniel 8. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. After I arose and went about the king's business, I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. Daniel said, after I got finished having this vision, I was so shaken to the core that I was literally filled with the days. What Daniel saw shook him to his very innermost being, made him sick in his stomach. Now, I want to say to you again, Daniel was not a weakling. I mean, think about it. I just told you he was caught in the water. And he 
didn't. He never prayed. He never remembered. He never cried. He never obeyed. So don't get this idea that Daniel was some sort of weakling. He stood up against the cultural uh, pushback of his day. He stood before a king and basically said, I'm going to live for my God and no other. If you want that, my honor, David. Daniel was no king. But what Daniel saw for him, Daniel's vision uh, carried him to world leaders like Alexander the Great, all the way to, uh, I believe, a fellow named Antonis Epiphanes. That's a name you probably haven't heard. But Antonis Epiphanes, his name means uh, Antipas, God manifest. Antipas believed himself to be God. He was a Gentile king from the uh, Seleucid people. Most history books don't talk about this guy. And part of the reason they don't talk about it is because uh, in his seat and you know, desire to conquer uh, the world, he was stopped by the Roman army. And so he didn't really succeed. He wasn't quite like Alexander the Great. All the world at the time. He wasn't like Napoleon, but he was a bad dude. When the Roman people, the Roman army stopped him, he got upset and he turned his rage up on Jerusalem. And he sacked Jerusalem. And he savaged the people of Jerusalem. It is said that he killed some 80,000 Jews, that he sold some 40,000 of the slaves. And he did unspeakable, horrible things. Not only did he kill the Jewish people, he tortured them, he mocked them, humiliated them, uh, he was horrible to them. And then on top of that, he tried to destroy their faith. He did his best to substitute a Greek worship culture for the Jewish religion and worship. Most importantly, in his issue, though, when the Bible talks about the desecration of the temple, it's referring to the moment when Antipas walked into the sacred places of Jesus and he took a pig, he slit that pig's throat, and he sacrificed that pig upon the Jewish altar. Now, I have to tell you, that was a horrible insult to the Jewish people. They first of all rejected that pig, and now the blood of their clothes. And he not only just did that, he took that, that, that blood of that pig, and he just, he just sprayed it all over Jerusalem. He just uh, painted the, the inside temple all over Jerusalem with the blood of that pig. It horrified people's faith. And if you want to read about that, you can read the Apocrypha for that, that period between uh, Malachi and the Matthews uh, in the Old Testament. When Jesus mentions the desolation, abomination of desolation, listen, that, that's a trigger, okay? If I were to say 9 11, what would you think? Okay. Boom. If Jesus said abomination of desolation, boom. Our, our people would never think that, we, that the temple was desecrated, the altar was desecrated. Now, why am I sharing all this with you? What Jesus said. Now, listen to what Jesus said. What Daniel, I believe, 
Saul. Was it just the event of Daniel's epiphany to tell what he could do? I believe if you study Daniel, he saw beyond Daniel. He saw to the end of Daniel. He saw the truth. Listen, about the nation of Isaiah. Jesus says that event that happened way back hundreds of years ago that you think is so horrible, he said, it's going to happen to you. And if you think that's bad, then friends, you've not seen anything yet. You think the Antichrist is bad? You know one of the stories I read about him that he did, uh, some of the Jews did it. Uh, you know, he outlawed uh, circumcision, okay, uh, as a statement of faith. And so his mother had a, a, a young son Jewish faith and uh, have that baby circumcised, he would have that baby put to death. They said that they said, well, maybe you would, would not uh, obey the law of Almighty that Daniel had been saying. And so he put, he had those babies put to death. But you know what else he did? He had the mothers beat them and strip naked. And he had those big, naked, tiny babies, those little sons, chained around the neck with rope cords. And he marched them through the streets of Jerusalem back and forth. That's kind of funny, isn't it? Jesus is saying, you thought it was bad then? You haven't seen anything bad yet. You think he was the Antichrist? You haven't met the real Antichrist yet. And so the fourth thing is Jesus is dressing a sovereign prince. There is a bad day coming. We call him the Antichrist. What John said in his gospel. Let me give you a few reasons why the Bible teaches that God is going to bring about this end this way. Let me give you these five real quick. A plucked up argument. What has been sown through the ages by God and Satan will be kind of dust and rubble at the end. You reap what you sow. To prove what is false, there is a debate what is true, what is false, what is right, what is wrong. God's going to call the people, listen, to stay at what is truly true. To prepare the multitude of all and of bounds for heaven. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 14. There are those who have died for the faith, those like Stephen. God is going to prove who their sacrifice. To punish the nations of the world who reject the word of the Lord. Folks, we're living in a godless nation. We make, we make all those one people under God because, listen, don't think some bottle makes it true. And we're like many of the nations of this world. We are godless people that reject God. And God is going to bring punishment to the nations of this world that reject Him. To purify His people Israel. He's made that promise to Ezekiel, to Isaiah, to Zechariah. He's going to refine His people. He's going to bring out the... Uh, the, the, the So that's what it means then. Now the next important one is that. What does it mean today? Well, Jesus says right away, we need to be prepared. Now, verses 27 through uh, verse 31, I'm not going to reread those, but those are in Matthew 24. Jesus says three things in those verses. Number one, we need to be prepared for the suddenness of his return. He says it's like lightning flashing across the, 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 the skies. Just think, 
which it doesn't just that quick in Jesus' name. Jesus says it's going to be a sign. Jesus says it's going to be a storm in the end times. And he talks about the um, eagles there gathering to the carcass. And, you know, we look at the eagles and they look at them and they look at just as nothing. But really, the eagles, they're just a standing Tribulation in those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, all kinds of signs. Do you remember the Lord all of this told me? He did this, he did some lies, he did things, he did but the, Jesus says this world will become the heart of his sin. To, to me, it seems like that today. We'll have our own baseball team, heart of the sin, the stitching from the line, that old leather begins to fall down. The shape of the heart may not be. Then there's the sound of the return of the of the angels who sound the trumpet. Jesus says, Be prepared. Jesus says, Be praying. Be watching and praying. Jesus says, Be preaching and reaching. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. He left us with no commission. We seek to save those who are lost. Look again over at Daniel chapter 8. What does it mean to be personal? That's the last point. Daniel 8, verse 24, And in the latter times of the kingdom, when the transgressions have reached their point, and he who shall rise and have a fierce feature, who understands sinners' prestige, his power shall be mighty, but not by his own might, it shall destroy the remnant. It shall prosper the proud, who shall destroy the blind, but also the elderly. Thus is cunning, he shall cause deceit, but prosper not those rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart, and he shall destroy many of his prosperity, and he shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. Now, that right there is a prophecy about how the struck down with horrible diseases. It is said that his suffering was so unbearable and his stench so unbelievable that he could have died body that day. He disgusted himself that he didn't want to be anybody around himself. He died in prison. He died not by the hand of the lawyers, but by the hand of God. Now listen, how is your name? Not by the hand of God. Not by the hand of 
this stop. And he said, you know, you're maybe on the interstate, and you see like there's this big pile up, there's this wreck, and you're thinking, oh my Lord, we're going to be here forever. This is going to be awful. It's going to be miserable. And you see an exit, and you think, I don't know where they get off here because I would rather take the detour and miss all of that point as to be sitting for you. Dear friend, Jesus is the answer. We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you. And we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.